And good evening, brethren. Welcome to our sixth installment of the series entitled Elders, Deacons, Preachers, and Saints. This lesson, as has been mentioned before, was created actually by a brother in Christ by the name of Mike Mazalango at the Edmonds, Oklahoma Church of Christ. And as we prepare to go in this lesson, into this lesson, would you please join me in prayer? Shall we pray? Our blessed, our loving Heavenly Father, life is so interesting. We have our ups and downs, we have our trials and tribulations, we have our suffering, we have our joy. And Father, whatever we are going through at a particular time, you're there with us. You are there with us to laugh when we laugh, to cry when we cry, to mourn when we mourn. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, you have a way of confidence in us in a way that, that sometimes we have trouble comprehending. But Father, we're thankful for that as well. And Father, as we venture into this lesson tonight, may we continue to glean information and knowledge that will help us, Father, as we continue our walk of faith, but also, Father, to help us in our service to you and this congregation. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful that you allowed so many to, to be a part of this tonight, whether they're here in person or online. We're thankful for the technology that, that would bring the services to them online. We're thankful for the technology which brought them here in person. Father, we have a wonderful Savior in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray that each and every day we will endeavor to allow the world around us, Father, to see our love for you through him. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer tonight. We thank you for leading us through this class tonight. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. So again, good evening, everyone. And in this lesson, what we're going to do is review the few passages that shed light on how elders should be selected. But not only that, we also want to look at passages that describe the elder's wife. Just have to figure out how to work technology. So let's review the material we have covered so far. Number one, different people have specific roles which, to rather to which they are appointed based on ability, that they are appointed based on character. In the post-apathetic period, these roles are elders, deacons, and preachers. In the discussion about elders, we said that, or rather we said the following. Jesus is the only head of the church, but this leadership is exercised in the local congregation through the eldership. We surmise that elders are men. Men who possess both general and specific qualifications that have been laid out for us in the word of God. And when they were laid out for us, they were laid out for us too, so that we can look at individuals. And what we are doing is we are looking at their degree of these qualifications that are recognizable by others. Not we're looking for someone who's perfect, but someone who has recognizable qualities that would help them serve as an elder. 
The Bible says that the main work of the elders is threefold. And we call it the three P's, if you will. P number one, protect against false teachers and false teachings. Promote and direct sound teaching, good works, unity, and peace. And provide an example of leadership as mature Christians. So in this lesson, we finished a section on elders by looking at the different ways elders are selected, but also review ideas about the elders' wives. Now, most of the scripture references that we see uh, in the New Testament that's referred to elders describe their character. It describes their work. It describes a situation where they are already serving in some capacity. There are only two passages that deal with how a man becomes an elder. And when we look at those two passages, it's going to break it down like this. In one passage we can look at, we're going to see an example. In the next passage we look at, we're going to see a command. And all of this comes from God. So the first passage we want to look at has to do with the example. And what we find is that when Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey, they traveled through Lystra, Iconian, and, and Antioch. And the Bible says there that they appointed elders in every church. Specifically at Acts chapter 14, at verse 23, the Bible reads, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fast, and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now the second passage, as we stated, deals with command. This second passage we're talking about is found in Titus chapter 1 at verse 5, where Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders. In other words, he instructed Titus to raise up elders in each city according to Paul's instructions. And the instructions, more than likely, that he was referring to comes to us from 1 Timothy chapter 3. The text reads, Titus 1 at verse 5, for this reason... I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. No other passages gives us any information at all about this matter. And so based on what we have, and now we're going to that thing called necessary inference, here are some conclusions and directions regarding our own selection of elders. Number one, elders are not voted in. Elders are not, do, are not volunteered by the congregation. It is not a democratic process uh, or exercise, if you will, of the church selecting a man by, let's say, a majority vote. Number two, elders are chosen. They are appointed. They are raised up, if you will. They are ordained, which means to, to set alongside and this is done by the existing elders that has itself been appointed. So in a church where there are no elders, what we have happening is this. The preacher raised up elders, as we see in Titus 1 and verse 5. In a church where there are elders, the elders who appointed the preacher, as we read in 1 Timothy 4 verse 14, can also seek out and appoint other elders. The new elders 
are established in according to the qualifications and guidelines that are already set forth in the New Testament. Leaders, leaders are responsible to seek out. Leaders are responsible to train. Leaders are responsible to appoint other leaders. That is the job of elders. But that is also the job of deacons, if you think about it. Deacons should always be looking for their replacement. Now, I can understand the preacher not looking for his replacement because that means he's not going to be out of a job. But elders and deacons should be training their replacement. Deacons should be training young men who are not yet serving. Elders should be training deacons who are serving so that they can be ready to take over that service or that responsibility. So what we have is this. Those who aspire, that is, reach for the eldership, even though they may have refused in the past, and the reason people might refuse is this. They may feel that they are too young at the time to serve as an elder. They may have, a, they may be doubting their qualifications, even though what they're reading in the Bible. But in any case, what they need to do, if there's a change in mind one way or another, they need to express this desire to the elders so that the elders, the, the, in, the current elders, so that the elders would know where they are and where their mindsets are. So when qualified men... Seek the eldership and qualified men express their desire to the preacher or the eldership. It is the first step in the process, if you will, of adding elders to God's church. And I gave you guys some information not that long ago, a few lessons ago, uh, a survey that was taken that surmised that every congregation should have one elder for every 40 adults. So I say this again, Anchorage Church of Christ is down about four elders because we only have two and we got a lot more than 80 adults worshiping at this congregation. So that's all we have on elders and appointment of elders. Let's switch our attention now, if you will, to the wife of the elder. Jaylee. I know, oh no, I can't do this because you don't have a microphone. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Just one moment, I got a million dollar question for him. What you, the question is for you. Okay. Go ahead, brother. So the question is this How important is your wife to the work that you're doing as an elder? I don't have uh, Jennifer's support and. Also, her uh, diligence in raising our children and taking care of the home, as Scripture tells us, women are um, to do. She's um, not meeting the qualifications that are mentioned here in First Timothy. I can't. First, I couldn't be an elder, but also without having her support, uh, I couldn't go out and do the things as an elder, visiting people, calling them, being available for others, and uh, taking 
time away from her and the, and the kids with her understanding that I do need that support, um, that I still am a provider, but I also have to, and I get to, I should say, shepherd the flock along with you. And so it is uh, important that our wives be who they need to be so that we can be, we can shepherd the best we can. Okay, thank you. And if you talk to anyone that's serving as an elder, you probably gonna, you're gonna, you should have that same type of a response. Because I don't know if you've never gone through this process here, the way it will work is this. Once a person is nominated to serve as an elder, the current elders ask to meet with them. When I say them, the husband and the wife. And it's not one of those situations where the husband sit there and do all the talking and the wife sit there calmly and meekly with their arms folded, waiting on the conversation to end. No, we want to know where she is in this mix. We want to know where she is because we know that that man that's serving as an elder is going to need her support. We don't, we do the same thing with deacons. We do the same thing when we are interviewing preachers. We want to know if that man has the support of his wife. So then, I think that many elders, just like Jayla did, would tell you that a good part of the success in the work of, el- of, of, of serving as an elder belongs to the wife of that elder. Many men do not aspire or reach for the position of elder, this, which is a great task, because their wives are either not suited to the demands of the position or are not spiritually mature enough to work with a husband who is an elder. The Bible does not deal specifically with elders' wives at any great length. I'll let you know that now. But there are general ideas that if the elder is sober-minded, and when you think of sober-minded, here's not so much whether they drink or don't drink, because that's not what we're talking about. If they're clear thinkers, if the elder is sober-minded and a good husband, etc., then his wife would be of the same type character. Now, there's also a specific reference in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11 about women. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossip, but temperate, faithful in all things. You'll notice when you look in your Bibles that this passage is sandwiched between instructions regarding elders and the instructions regarding deacons. So the conclusion then, the necessary inference is that the wives, and, and this word wives here, this is one of the times where in, when you look in the Greek for the word wives, the word is wives. It refers to elders and deacons' wives. This passage is repeated and is also amplified in Titus where Paul gives greater detail about the necessary character of older women in the church characteristics and responsibilities that should be part of the elder's wife. At Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5a, the Bible reads, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, 
to be pure, to be workers at home, to be kind, being subject to their own husbands. Paul says three major things about the elder women, if you will. Number one is this. Their conduct is reverent. Their conduct must be reverent. What what he's saying by this right here is this right here. Their behavior should be such that it befits those who lead holy, reverent lives. This passage kind of makes us think of um, the Old Testament priests, right? The priests offer sacrifices before God, and they did this in the temple, Right? They did it in the holy place. Since he came before God, his conduct among the people reflected his duties before the Lord. The idea here, of course, is this, that his conduct should not contradict the office that he serves. And when we think about this, when we talk about priests, we have to remember that all Christians are priests before God. We are priests and we are offering praise and service each day to Christ Jesus. If you will go over to uh, Romans chapter 12 at verse 2. Romans chapter 12 at verse 2. I'm sorry, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. The Bible reads, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. And also, uh, Revelation chapter 1 at verse 6. Revelation chapter 1 at verse 6. The Bible there says, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A mature woman's conduct should have the same spirit as this. Her conduct should reflect her responsibilities as an elder's wife, a priest of God. Now, from here, Paul then mentioned two things that you will not see in her behavior. Number one is just right here. She will not be a malicious gossip. Think about gossip for a moment. Gossip is usually the revelation of others, of their faults, if you will, with the intention of doing some things to ridicule that person, to cause problems for that person, to frustrate that person. The Greek word used here is diabolos, meaning devil. Gossip is the devil's work, for he accuses us, Christians, day and night before God. And day and night, Christ Jesus is our defender. Gossip divides. Gossip destroys. Gossip displeases God. And we should realize that the faults of others are covered by the blood of Christ Jesus. But check this out. So are our own faults. And you know the age old saying, 
when you point your finger at somebody, you got three coming back at you. When we gossip, we refuse the blood of Christ Jesus for another person. We become the devil's workers and we are uncovering what Christ Jesus has covered with his blood. Number two, she will not be addicted to much wine. Now, we go back in that time frame. Wine was a common drink of the people, right? A godly woman is neither addicted to wine nor any other thing. And, and today, we have much more than wine that, 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 that's a problem. We have alcohol. We have drugs. Even medication itself, prescription medication, could be mishandled and misused. Godly women are in control of themselves. And nothing controls them except Christ Jesus. Now, Paul mentions what you do see in their lives. And you spend a lot more time on what you do see. For instance, he say, what you will see is this. You will see older women who teach what is good, who teach what is excellent. When she speaks, it is not to gossip. When she speaks, it is not to complain, but to teach what is good, to teach what is noble. A godly woman is able and busy teaching the younger women, not the men. Paul also describes the things that these women know, things that they practice, and things that they now teach to the younger women. Older women are teaching how to love husbands and children. Not just the fact that they should, but how. Teaching those things will do something for for them. It will help a young woman to more love her husband as well as more love her children. The older woman who has succeeded in maintaining a, a happy marriage who has succeeded in having a satisfied husband, who has succeeded in, in bringing up um, children in the Lord, should be preparing younger women to do the same. You know, think about this right here is this right here. Even though that older woman may have failed, there is still some value to share through experience. I was, I was leading a class, yes, um, Tuesday and Wednesday, and something this gentleman said. He said, you need to learn how to connect the dots to be successful where you are. And what he what he meant by that is this right here. You can't connect the dots in the future because you're not there. We live in the present. We have lived in the past. So you have to be able to look back and connect those dots, which means you're not bringing everything from back there forward. You're bringing those things that are beneficial to your well-being forward. And that's that's called experience. And when it comes to experience, we have successes and failures all the time, even as a Christian. Number two, he said, they are sensible and pure. Which means they have balanced thinking, if you will. They're not, they're not frivolous. They're not foolish. But again, that term, sober-minded. Second Timothy 3.16. Second Timothy 3.16, the Bible reads, All scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Let's throw 17 in there. That the man of God may be complete. With a woman. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Being sensible and pure. This woman is not carried away by false teaching. She's not carried away by temptation to impurity. She's not carried away by infidelity. He says that a, the mature woman is a, a worker's at home. Now, sometimes people read this and they just take it all out of context. The Bible is not against women working outside of the home. If that is the woman's choice, great. If it's not the woman's choice, great. If it's, if, you know, if the spouse is there and he should be in a decision, great. What he's talking about here is this. The point here is this. That women are not sluggish about the work that has to be done at home. The responsibility for the home, not the housework, is the woman's. Older women are to encourage younger women to this task. They are to teach the things that's necessary to fulfill this ministry properly. Women who love their children and women who love their husbands will maintain a proper home, whether it's a one-room house or a 20-room mansion. It really doesn't matter. This is first priority. Everything else is extra, which is to say, do not do the extra if this part is not also done. Next, the mature woman is good and kind. First to the husband and the children. Now, one thing we have to realize as human beings, it's, it's easy to, to do good to everybody else and leave these things for last. And that's not what we, any woman should be doing for a household. People do remember a woman's goodness. Let's make, make no mistake about it. They remember their kindness long after they have forgotten her, her successes or failures in the world. Someone that some of us older people could probably relate to. The young ones probably figure out, try, probably saying, Eleanor who? Eleanor Roosevelt was the president's wife. But she's not remembered as the first lady of the United States. She's remembered for her kindness. Older women teach by example. Next, women, older women in particular, need to teach how to be submissive to husbands. A woman submitted to Christ is submitted to her husband first, before her parents, before the job, before friends, etc., etc., etc. Of course, this is easier, men. This is easier when our husband is a faithful Christian. In the final verse, at uh, 5b, Paul says that this kind of behavior... And teaching will honor God. The text says, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. You see, we live in this world, right? The world judges the church by the character that the gospel produces in its people. And Paul reveals the character of a godly, reverent, older woman and how she has become this way as well as what she is doing, if you will, with her life. 
and there should be no confusion here. There should be no confusion about what older women ought to be doing with their time. God has given the leadership role in the church to the men who lead as elders. He has described the kind of woman who can complement that leader and doing a good job in serving the church and doing a good job of honoring him. A woman who respects God and lives honorably, lives discreetly, lives soberly. A woman who is not afraid to go against the grain of the world to retain her central position in the home and her special position next to her husband and children. A woman who can teach other women how to serve God, how to serve family, how to serve community. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our precious Heavenly Father, we pray for all elders' wives that they might continue in their good work. They might continue in their good examples. We pray that God will move other women to grow and follow their husbands into a a greater life of service for the Lord. Father, We believe through our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, because of you, the elder's wife can be the greatest single encouragement in her husband's ministry. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Next week, we will venture into a new segment. Last few years ago when we did this, Maury graciously stepped up and took care of these two lessons, but I released him from that this year. <laughs> but he uh, he covered for us uh, the role and work of deacons part one and part two. So I will be covering those uh, myself since I'm in town. But I hope you all have now gotten a better feel for what it takes to be served as an elder for the work that is before that individual that it's an enjoyable role it's an enjoyable task but it's not always fun it's not always fun but there's nowhere in the qualifications the responsibilities or the work of an elder where it says it's always supposed to be fun but it always lets us know the work is rewarding. So, for those who are here tonight, we go <clears throat> excuse me. For those who are here tonight, we will be having a devo- I'm losing my voice. We will be having a devotional soon. For those who are online, get some water. Uh, we have our contact information on the slide. So. Our contact information is on the slide, and I have no idea what happened. But that's why I have Jacob here when I'm up here, because he can take over for me. So, 
Thank you all for joining me tonight. I, I ask you to please plan to join us next week as we get into installment number seven as we go to part one, talking about the role and the work of our deacons. Thank you.